Well, good morning. Let me add my, my welcome to you to Hebron this morning. I hope you enjoyed your extra hour in bed. Please don't take it now. I hope you've had it. Uh, wonderful to be able to, to gather together and, and, and worship God like this. Uh, good hymns, well, well chosen, Ash, and thanks to the, to the music team. So let's, let's turn to God's word now. Uh, we're continuing our study in Romans chapter 4. Or in the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 4. Let me just repeat um, two key phrases from the passage that Ash read. Verse 9. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And then down to verse 23. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him. Now, it was whilst teaching through the book of Romans that Martin Luther came to appreciate the truth of the gospel. I think Willie has mentioned that before. And so began the Reformation. And Luther described the book of Romans as a gateway to heaven. And Romans chapter 4 teaches us that God's gateway to heaven is accessed by faith. Let's just remind ourselves of the truth that Paul has covered in these opening chapters. From chapter 1 verse 18 through to chapter 3 verse 20, Paul is focused on the problem. The sinfulness of humanity. That we are all sinners. That we are all lacking in righteousness. Chapter 3 verse 9. None is righteous. Not one. We look into our own hearts. And we know this. We look out into the world. Sick with the ravages of sin. And none of us can stand before a holy God as just. And righteous, we are sinners and we are all under the wrath of God. But then from chapter 3, verse 21 to chapter 5, Paul now focuses on the solution. God has provided a solution to the problem. God has provided the righteousness that we lack. We can be made right with God, God can forgive our sins. And his righteousness can be counted to us. It can be given to us. So as we come to chapter 4, the big question here is, how do I receive this righteousness from God? This righteousness that I need, how do I receive it? The answer is by faith. I receive God's righteousness by faith. That's the theme of chapter 4. We are justified. We are made right with God by faith. Now this is not new. You know, Paul says in, in chapter 3 verse 21. The law and the prophets. The Old Testament. They bear witness to this. And to prove this. Paul now uses Abraham. As the supreme illustration that righteousness is received from God by faith. Now quite often when Paul teaches something, he starts with the negative before he gets to the positive. Um, 
And sometimes that's a good way of teaching. Because it reinforces the positive. So he starts with three negatives. Three examples of how this righteousness is not received. And then he lands on the positive. Verses 1 to 8 of chapter 4. He makes the point that we do not receive righteousness by works. Now Willie covered that last week. It's not through any effort on our part. We can't earn it. We can't work to be made right with God. The second negative in verses 9 to 12. We don't receive this righteousness through circumcision. Now that has a particularly Jewish context. Paul makes the point in verses 9 to 10. That Abraham received God's righteousness before he was circumcised. The point is that circumcision contributed absolutely nothing to Abraham's righteousness. Him being justified with God. And then the third negative in verses 13 to 15, we don't receive this righteousness by works, by circumcision, nor do we receive it through keeping the law. Three negatives. But now in the words of the song, Paul, you've got to accentuate the positive and eliminate the negatives. And that's what he does in verses 16 to 17. He says we receive this righteousness by faith. Look at verse 16. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. That is, it's a gift that we receive from God. We don't deserve it. It is completely of God's grace. That the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed To all his offspring. To those who believe. Whether Jew or Gentile. It's the guarantee. Because it comes from God. Because it's by his grace. God guarantees the effectiveness of his salvation. It doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on my efforts. Otherwise I I could never have that guarantee. But I have certainty about my salvation. Because it depends on God. It comes from God. And I can have a peace about my salvation. It points to our eternal security in Jesus Christ. Righteousness is received by faith. So what does this faith look like? Well Paul now shows us what it looks like from the life of of Abraham. He mentions in, in verse 12 the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. Abraham, you see, is the prototype, he's the model of this saving faith. So I want to look at Abraham's faith under three headings, and um, they'll appear on the on the screen behind me. First of all, Paul gives an analysis. Of this faith from the life of Abraham in verses 18 to 21. An analysis of Abraham's faith. Secondly in verse 22 we have God's answer to Abraham's faith. And then finally verses 23 to 25 the application of this faith to us. Those are the three headings. So, Paul's analysis of Abraham's faith, there are five characteristics in the passage of this saving faith. Here's the first one in verse 17. 
that faith, saving faith, is a response to the promise of God. It is a response to the promises of God. Look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. This is a reference to God's promise to Abraham. God spoke to Abraham. Uh, God gave a promise to Abraham. Now when God first called Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, let me just turn to it. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God said, go, leave your land, leave your country, leave your kindred. How did Abraham respond? Well, verse 4 of chapter 12 says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. He obeyed, he went, he believed God. Now we come over to, to Genesis chapter 15. And God promises Abraham that he's going to make of him a great nation. But then Abraham says to God in verse 2 of chapter 15, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham says, hang on a minute, God. All this talk about a a great nation and an offspring like the stars, I still don't have a child. It will need to be through my my steward, my, my servant, Eliezer. And then God says to Abraham in in verse 5 of Genesis 15, This shall not be your heir. Eliezer will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. It's where Paul is quoting from in Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed the promises of God. He believed the word of God. And it's no different for us today. Faith is a response to the word of God, to the promises of God in his word. We believe God. We hear the gospel and we respond by faith. Now, secondly, we learn here that faith takes its character from its object. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that faith is not dependent on the person who exercises faith. It's not dependent on me or you. It's dependent on the object in which it's placed. It's dependent on God. And it takes its character from God. Now, Paul says two things about God in verse 17 of Romans chapter 4. He says he is the God who gives life to the dead. He's the God of resurrection. And he's the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. He's the God of creation. 
The God of resurrection and the God of creation. This is who this faith depends on. This is who Abraham's faith depended on. It's who my faith depends on. The great God of creation. The God of resurrection. There is no one like him. There is no one to compare with him. We can depend and trust this God. Where would you rather put your faith? In man? In leaders? In politics? The leaders are all gathering in Glasgow this week. Would you rather put it in yourself? Or in this God? The God of creation? The God of resurrection? Now the third point. Because this faith takes its character from God. It is not dependent on circumstance. Look at verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, in hope, Abraham believed against hope. What does that phrase mean? Well, other translations put it this way, that contrary to hope, in hope he believed. In other words, when there was no hope, Abraham believed God. Now here's an important point to remember that when God first called Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham only had God's promise to cling on to. He had nothing else. God promised him a land. I'll give you a land to possess. Abraham owned no land. He had a tent, but he had no land. He was a sojourner, a pilgrim living in tents. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And yet when he called him, and right up until he was 86 years old, Abraham was the father of nobody. All he had was the promise of God. In hope, he believed against hope. Now just look at how desperate Abraham's circumstances were in verse 19. He did not weaken in faith. When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah, his wife's womb. At 99 years old, God promised Abraham a son. Now this was an impossible situation, naturally speaking. Abraham knew that his body was as good as dead. And Sarah, his wife, she was 90 years old. She was unable to have children. It was a natural impossibility. Now can you imagine old Abraham, 100 years old, can you imagine him rocking up to the maternity hospital with his zimmer and his sticks and and to the reception desk and the lady says... Can I help you, sir? You'll be here for visiting. Uh, can, you, can you speak up a bit? I'm a bit deaf. Is it a, is it a grandchild? Is it, is it a great-grandchild? Well, no, it's my wife. She's in the car. She, she's in labor. And you can imagine the thought process. Oh, I, he must have married a, a younger woman. It's laughable. 
And that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah did when God promised a son. You see, it had to be all of God. Abraham could contribute nothing. But he believed in a God who calls things into existence that don't exist. And a God who gives life to the dead. A barren womb. And an impotent man. A dead situation which could bring nothing into existence. But these are no obstacles to our God. You know, many of you are here today, and I know that some of you are facing pretty big obstacles on your journey of faith with God. Remember that this faith is not dependent on circumstances. It rests on the greatness of God in whom your faith is placed. The God of creation. The God of resurrection. And it's when we face desperate situations. When we feel that there is absolutely no hope. It's then that we must look to God and in hope believe in him. And trust him. In hope he believed against hope. So faith is a response to the word of God. It takes its character from God. It's not dependent on circumstances. And here's the fourth point in verse 20. That this faith, saving faith, grows and it perseveres. Look at verse 20. No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith. Abraham grew strong in his faith. You know, we discover from Scripture, and we discover from our own lives, that our faith is always tested. That when you become a Christian, the struggles of life don't just suddenly disappear. But you face them by faith with God. And your faith is tested and it grows. James chapter 1 verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking In nothing. Abraham's faith was tested throughout his life. And I was just thinking how God often repeated his promises to Abraham throughout his life. You know, Genesis 12, we we, we read when Abraham called God, when God called Abraham, sorry, in, in Genesis 12. You know, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. In chapter 13, verses 14. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Chapter 15, verse 5. Look toward heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Chapter 17, 
verse 1. Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Verse 4, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Chapter 22, verse 17, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. God is repeating his promises throughout Abraham's life. Why? Because Abraham is no different from us. And there were times too when, when Abraham felt discouraged. And there were times when Abraham must have doubted whether this promise was ever going to be realized. In Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands. Abraham is now 86 years old. He still doesn't have a son. And Sarah gives her servant Hagar to Abraham. And he says, and she said to Abraham, Abe, we can have children by Hagar. And you know what? There's still life in the old dog. And, and, and Abraham becomes a father at 86. And Ishmael is born. Abraham says to God, I've done it. Here is your son, Ishmael. God says, no, Abraham. That's the son that you've produced. He's not the son that I promised. You will have another son. And Abraham would wait another 13 years for Isaac. And then even after Isaac was born, it looked like God was going to take it all away. In Genesis 22, God asked Abraham to take Isaac, your only son, the son whom you love, take him up Mount Moriah and and offer him there to me as a sacrifice. And you think, what is God doing? He's testing Abraham. He's testing his faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, we read, by faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now listen to this. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Abraham believed in a God who gives life to the dead. His focus was on God and on his promises. And he lived by faith, resting on the promises of God. And that's why God repeated his promises throughout Abraham's life. To encourage him that he might grow strong when his faith was tested. And we too, in our lives... We need to be continually reminded of the promises of God. So that when our faith is tested, we too might grow in our faith. Final point in the analysis of faith, verse 20. Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. This faith gives glory to God. Why? Because he was fully convinced 
that God was able to do what he had promised. You know, the God that I believe in, the God that I'm depending on, he is able. He is able. So the character of Abraham's faith, the analysis of faith. But now, verse 22, what was God's answer to his faith? We read this. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. God's righteousness was accounted to him. It was imputed. It was credited. It was given to Abraham by faith. Abraham didn't have this righteousness. None of us have it. But we need it. And it comes from God. It is received from God by faith. And so chapter 4 closes with this wonderful application of the faith of Abraham. Look at verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him. You know, Paul has been teaching In Romans that we too need to be made right with God because of our sin. Because we lack his righteousness. But God in his grace has provided this righteousness for us. How has he done it? It's through Jesus Christ that will be counted to us who believe in him. Who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised For our justification. It's through the life. The death. And resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is God. Because Jesus Christ is righteous. He was delivered up. For our trespasses. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, talking about God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, delivered him up for us all. Isn't that amazing? The God who spared Isaac, Abraham's son, but did not spare his own son because he loves you, because he wants you To be covered with his righteousness by faith. He was delivered up for our trespasses. You know when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. God forgives our sins. He grants us his pardon. But there's more. Jesus was raised for our justification. His resurrection proves That his sacrifice was accepted by God. And not only are my sins forgiven. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to me. And I am made right with God. And because God raised Jesus. That's the guarantee that I am justified by faith. Abraham was justified by faith. I am justified by faith. What about you? How will you respond 
to the gospel. Where is your faith today? Is it in the God of Abraham? The God who gives life to the dead? The God who calls into existence the things that do not exist? The God for whom nothing is impossible? Paul closes Romans chapter 4 and he tells us in no uncertain terms that it is to those who believe in him. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. That is God's gateway to heaven. Faith in Jesus Christ. The just shall live by faith. May God bless his word. Let's, let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Father God, we, we thank you that you are a God who is worthy of our trust. We worship you today as the God of creation, that by your word, you call into existence things that don't exist. You are the God of resurrection power. You give life to the dead. And Father, we thank you that you have provided your righteousness through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that it is by your grace, that it is through faith in him that we are saved. And we pray that you would bring those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, we pray that you would bring them to this point of faith, that they might begin that journey of faith with you. We pray that for those who are on that journey of faith and who are struggling today, we pray that you would lift their eyes to see your greatness, to see your power, that they might be reminded of your promises to us through Jesus Christ, and that you would encourage and strengthen those who are struggling. Father, we just thank you for this time to worship you, and we pray that you would minister and speak to us. From your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.